Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Invasion by Story Archives. I am your host, Mario Abusto, back at you with a solo instant reaction to Invasion Season 2, Episode 6, titled Pressure Points. I'm here doing it solo. Zach should be returning next week, who is my co-host. If you've never listened to the show before, he'll be back next week, more than likely, uh, as he is on father duty. So anyways, let's get into the episode pressure points. Um, when I was thinking of season two of Invasion, I was hoping for this tone from the beginning. And I think that this is one of the first episodes of the season that really captures that true mystery from season one that we had in a way that really um, was different from a lot of the episodes we've had so far in season two. Now, if you've been following along on the journey, we've sort of made fun of a little bit of the convenience of some of the plot lines and some of our characters who seem to know a lot more than they should, considering this is the first time they're encountering a lot of these problems in regards to the aliens and all that, all that jazz, you know. But on this episode, we kind of have a bit of a follow-up from last week where we deal with most of our main characters. Aside from Trevante, we get an update from Anisha, Mitsuki, Jamila, and co. And we even get a reunion with Casper. But the nice thing about this episode is really that it all ties back to pressure points. For the first time, I think we really get a sense that there is a way to defeat these aliens, although the mystery is sort of unraveling and coming together little by little. We're starting to see the fact that Luke, actually each character is kind of connected to the aliens in a unique way that could prove to be um, detrimental to the aliens' attempt to invade the Earth. We also saw a bit of a true heart of the blob, the famous David Bowie blob that Mitsuki interacts with pretty much throughout this entire season so far. And we find out that it doesn't seem to be as friendly. I mean, there's even moments in this episode where you think maybe this thing could be friendly and maybe it's Hinata, maybe it's not. But I think it's pretty certain that it uses very devious tactics to manipulate the individuals that they're trying to harm, right? So in Mitsuki's case, it's taking the form of Hinata. It's making up a fake memory from Hinata's youth about her flying a kite and pretty much using the information it knows about Hinata to create this story that could potentially um, fool Mitsuki. And I mean, I think the ploy from the beginning for this alien was to lure Mitsuki to take off her helmet as it gives her this sort of Dementors-like soul-sucking kiss to kill her. Because I think that's what was happening. I think that Mitsuki was dying in there, but that she's so mentally strong that she was able to see through the facade enough that she was able to do that finger tapping that spelled out the word magnet which was a signal to the scientists to crank up the magnetic force within that tank which i think gave us a first glimpse of what's inside the alien and it seems that blob is hiding a core of something like there's like an alien creature inside of it that's controlling and manipulating all of this but yeah i i still think it's a mystery like for example luke with all the voices in his head we see that he's able to control the aliens with his mind now when they're in the convoy at the start of this episode and he's saying he hears the voices, the voices are getting louder, they're fighting. I thought perhaps that they're, one of the aliens, may, like maybe the aliens are not all in agreement of killing the humans like this and maybe they're fighting each other. But 
I don't know what it could mean because later in the episode, Luke is paralyzing a particular alien from attacking Anisha. I mean, if it attacks Anisha, she's dead. And he's able to get in its mind and stop it from doing so. So Luke has this connection. It's not so much that they chose him. It's just he has this maybe unplanned for connection to the alien hive mind that he's able to influence. So we pretty much have like a a, a way to attack these aliens. But how to weaponize that is still a mystery, right? You have Luke who's able to control them with his mind. You have Mitsuki who's brilliant enough to decode things, right? She's able to kind of understand what they're saying and pick up on their strategies, right? Because at the end of this episode, she's able to pick up on the fact that the frequency that the alien has when it's being attacked by the magnet is actually the alien's language, which is in her head, which means that if it's in her head, she can learn it, she can decode it, and she can find their pressure points that can harm the alien. Casper, Casper's probably the most confusing because he's able to really see inside the alien and also communicate with people across the globe. And he's almost able to tie all the pieces together by predicting maybe what the aliens will do next. Uh, it seems that he's he almost prophesied that the aliens would come in the first place with some of those drawings that we see in season one in his journal, right? Um, so I don't know if Casper's in the same timeline, although he doesn't know what the heck is going on and what he's seeing. He's definitely piecing together various imagery uh which is symbolic of things that have happened in the world right that's why we see the scarecrow in one of his drawings that's why he's able to communicate with uh mitsuki all these different things that occur there all right continuing with each parts of the episode and why it was great the director on this episode his name is brad anderson and funny enough i was doing a little digging on imdb brad i mean he has an extensive directing experience if you go look up his um film credits you'll see or his filmography you'll see how much he's directed but he happens to be the director i have a few episodes that stand out in my mind particularly of the greatest episodes of tv i've ever watched um several that I, that just immediately popped to my mind you know um from some of my favorite shows you know growing up whether it's breaking bad Mad Men, sopranos game of thrones um walking dead all of these shows that, you know, you grow up loving and all that. But there is a particular episode near the beginning of kind of like the golden era of TV that AMC, in my opinion, really uh, brought to the forefront with a lot of their shows. Uh, there's a show called The Killing uh, about a detective in Seattle who pretty much investigates a case each season for the most part. In season one, I think it's about a girl named Rosie, if I'm not if I don't, it's been a long time since I've watched it, but it's about a girl who's missing. That's the bottom line. And the finale is titled Orpheus Descending. That's one of the best episodes of TV I've ever watched. Like it's still, it's still like imprinted in the back of my head. The moments in that episode, how the twists and turns, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody, so I'm not. But that series is incredible. It stars Muriel Enos, uh, as well as the oh man, the other famous, super famous actor. I'll look it up. But since I'm doing a solo, I don't have any help of looking up names off the top of my head. Uh, but a lot of guys uh, got their their start on that show as actors in, in a big way. But that episode is one of the best uh, best uh, examples of directing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and if you watch that season one, you'll know what I'm talking about, I believe. Anyways, continuing onward, I think 
having this kind of level of director really does make the difference as we've seen because the tone in this episode was just entirely on a different level compared to um the other episodes in the season i mean i'll, I'll just come out and say it like was not a fan of last episode i'm, I'm not a fan of the entire tone of trevante's storyline so far it feels like his is the weak link in the whole in the whole bunch um they've really given him the short end of the stick and funny enough i actually reached out to shamir to be on the show but um i mean i'd love to have him on he was my favorite character from season one and still one of my one of my favorite characters on the show but just his storyline and the little that they've given him to work with compared to the other characters is um like you're still kind of looking to see how he fits in and you know that soldier role is going to fit in here but it's still like I feel like he's been given the least to work with. That whole storyline of him going to Florida to be with his sister, I thought that was uh, over the top. Especially the fact that I'm f I'm from Florida, and I know for a fact that that wasn't filmed in Florida because you see literal mountains as he's exiting the state. And I know it's a nitpick, but those kind of continuity issues that you see, uh, they really takes you out of it uh, in some ways. But nonetheless, um, I'm interested to see if this episode is kind of the the tone setter of getting back to what made this series incredible in season one. Uh, onward with the rest of the episode. Anisha really the whole time in this episode, the convoy is, is what's going on. And they just happen to choose a day that happens to be the foggiest <laughs> in all of history. So probably not a great day to try to go on a rescue mission when you can't see the car five feet in front of you. Maybe you should have called off the mission till the next day. Another thing, a lot of these people from this uh, cult group, I'm just going to keep calling them a cult, but they seem to be pretty good-willed people at this point, so maybe Clark is safe. He's not going to fall into the stereotype of every other resistance leader in the history of television shows. It seems to be that he's kind of a, he's straight up a good guy. They continue with their convoy. They lose half their convoy. I literally write in my notes that People survived in this convoy simply because they needed bodies to kill. Because it would have been ridiculous if Ryder, Luke, Anisha, and Clark all survived walking with Clark severely injured in his leg. <laughs> so they needed a way to get away and they needed bodies to die. Similar to like any war movie. There's always just like, usually like a, a few soldiers in a platoon uh, that you just know are going to die. They, that they're just there because it would be ridiculous if no one died in, in such a chaotic and dangerous situation it's still a mystery to me as to why the aliens fell back like i i don't that's not entirely clear to me as to why that seems to occur they were clearly dominating this convoy they would have killed everybody um but then they all fall back and i don't know if that was because of luke or if that was because of another reason i think it's too soon to say it was all luke because he barely had control of that one alien so i would find it hard to believe that he could possibly have control of like a whole squad of those hunter aliens meanwhile in paris jamila and co make it to monty's dad's uh, mistress shack you kind of find out pretty quickly why monty feels the way he does and although jamila compliments a photo that she thinks is about shows his mom and dad it's actually his dad and his mistress which monty alludes to when all the kids are in the rock quarry in season one and you can kind of see where monty's coming from i, I think this whole episode doesn't play out the way Monty wants. I mean, he's never been a huge fan of Casper. Here he is about to get the girl. He has several touching moments with Jamila, you know, consoling her. She consoles him. You can see a little bit of chemistry between the two. However, it seems like Casper got a message from beyond the grave or maybe from the aliens himself saying, yo, 
wake up, start tapping on the wall or something because your girl is holding hands with your bully. You got to get the hell up out this hospital. So someone out there in the alien force did a solid for Casper. And thank God for Penny. I mean, the ultimate the ultimate uh, party ruiner, right? Because if they walk out that door, you expect the happily ever after for Monty and Jamila. But now, collision course, we got to love triangle brewing. So we'll see what happens there. Meanwhile, Darwin with the severe leg injury last episode, I'm assuming we will touch base with him at a certain point and see what the hell happened to him. But uh, I think it was too many people in this group, so we needed to whittle it down by one. Uh, Mitsuki, on the other hand, for the first time in the entire season, I actually agree with psychiatrist Maya, who uh, she feels Nikhil Kapoor, the uh, billionaire Indian guy who's heading up this Brazilian uh, mission to probe the alien David Bowie blob. Uh, I, I actually agree with her in this episode. I think that they're really pushing Mitsuki to the brink, but she's such a badass that she's able to mentally defeat the alien at its own game. Despite being, I think the alien has already taken a hold of her mind in some ways here, as we know she can hear the language in her head. So I really don't know what's going on with Mitsuki. If it was my call, she probably doesn't go back in there. So maybe, but then again, I wouldn't have taken off my helmet. So anyways, I think Nikhil probably was right sending her back in. He ended up being right because the information she gets from that alien of figuring out that it's its language and figuring out that it is malicious, right? That whole thing to use a dream, to find the vulnerability of the person that is trying to um, get information out of you. It's pretty devious. So I think uh, it's safe to say the aliens are not so innocent and they're disguising what they're there for. So we'll find out soon enough. They are terraforming the earth. We haven't gotten an update status of how much more of the atmosphere they've terraformed. But they have terraformed and over 30% of it. So we can figure that that number has increased, right? That was a number we got earlier in the season. So we'll see what happens there. It seems like maybe they just need a new planet. Uh, their planet ran out or uh, they need a place to live. Who knows? Who knows? Continuing on. I think there's like a... I don't know what Casper was drawing on the wall in his episode. And I think that that's going to be a major key right because this whole episode leaves off in a few different places with mitsuki we figure that mitsuki's gonna need about an episode or to be left alone i don't know if we'll see mitsuki next episode but she's had the most work in this season she's had the most plot material she's had the biggest role in this season so far in terms of the global picture think about it a whole nuclear attack on the aliens was thanks to mitsuki right so she's perhaps the most important person on earth in this show as we know it Meanwhile, we know Casper and Luke also could potentially be the most important people on Earth. Maybe Trev, whenever his plot gets a little bit more of a uh, advancement, that might occur for him too. But we figure that she's going to need some time to decode this language, to find the patterns of maybe picking out a few words and what they may mean, right? And then that'll lead to something. Now, how that connects with the rest of the characters, we don't know. But that's where we leave off with Mitsuki, and Lord knows what other repercussions that come with having the alien's voice literally inside of your mind. As for Casper and Co., Casper's just woken up from his coma, pretty much. Jamila asks him, where do we go now? So it's interesting to me. I have no idea what Casper's going to say to this. I don't know what he's going to think. Maybe he 
maybe he had a vision of Mitsuki and knows essentially where he needs to go. Maybe he thinks it's Brazil. Maybe he thinks he needs to get with Trevante. I don't know. So Jamila and Co's future from here is a little bit hazy. I don't know why Monty would continue to go with them at this point, considering he needs to try to find his parents. I think all these kids kind of need to go back to their parents, and Casper's parents are dead, so he can go wherever the hell he wants. But uh, where the Goonies will go from here remains a mystery. As for Anisha, Clark, Luke, Ryder, and a couple of the other lucky survivors from the group continue to make their way down to Sarah, who is at the military base, who Lord knows if it even is still standing. Because if you don't got, you know, Professor X himself as Luke there protecting everybody from these aliens, I don't know how that alien base would survive even seven of these aliens, right? If you can't kill them with bullets, you can't kill them with fire, you can only kill them with mind control, then you're shit out of luck. I hate to say it. But that's where we are. Best episode of the season, by far. And I feel like I've said that every episode except for the last one. I think it only gets better from here. But then I think we leave off with massive cliffhangers at the end of the season, if I had to guess. Because there's no way all of these characters are going to connect by the end of the season. So I think if we're lucky, we get a decoding of the language. We get some sort of path forward for Casper. And something major happens for Trev and Anisha. Some catalyst occurs there where maybe the military finds out that Luke is a weapon that can be wielded. As we know, Casper was in a hospital ward with a bunch of children who seems to have had powers, right? So we'll see what happens there. Maybe there's like a legion of, of kids with superpowers that can fight these aliens. Who knows? As for Monty and Jamila... Kind of crappy that they, they hold hands the moment that she doesn't get in touch with Casper. So she's kind of moving on a little bit too fast there, you know. Monty even looked disappointed. I mean, Casper's barely been awake. He's barely talking. And Monty's like, you didn't hear us? It's almost like Monty's a little mad that his little hand-holding session was interrupted. But, yeah. I'm interested to see more about the blob that Mitsuki deals with as it kind of convulses and... Dis and um contracts into this very tiny specimen so i wonder what it's going to look like now considering that they cranked that magnetic force to the max that'll be interesting to see but let's wrap up the instant reaction it's a quick one we're doing these little quick instant reactions for invasion we hope you're enjoying the show if there's a hunger for a deep dive of this series write out to us email us contact that soapbox that house we can make those for you just let us know. Some updates on the channel. We have been fighting like hell to get reinstated on YouTube. And it is bad news from me to you that I have made, although I've gotten more no's, so I guess that is progress. We've had no progress dealing with an individual uh, from a company called OPSEC Security. Super unhelpful company that works on behalf of Apple. Super corrupt. I mean, to me, just super um, negligent. In, in the way that they have helped try it, like negligent in the way that they could probably help us that they're choosing not to, because even if they can't help us, they could at least guide us in the direction to do so. But 
As you may all know, if you listen to the show, Apple filed about 30 or 40 takedown requests from us, which led to the termination of our show on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. We fixed that issue within three days. Once we knew what it was, it was because we were inadvertently using their logo on the cover art, which we use just to show anyone who's scrolling on YouTube or podcast or on the podcast to know what channel the show we're talking about is on. We fixed that. We got back on Apple Podcasts. Apple, on behalf of OPSEC, wrote an email clearing us of any wrongdoing. We sent that to YouTube. They have denied it. They haven't acknowledged it. I filed the counter notification to try to get us back there. That failed too. I have a couple of other things I'm trying, but none of them have been successful. So if you or anybody out there knows anybody, if anyone out there has any lawyer friends who are experts in copyright law who might be able to help us in getting reinstated, we would greatly appreciate the recommendation or the insight because as a small business, a small podcast network, this is our first time dealing with it. We have never even had so much as a copyright warning before. Nothing that was even picked up by the AI scrubbers that uh, scan your show for any copyrighted material. So what that tells me is that very potentially this was an individual person who saw our show and manually went and filed these takedown requests against us. For what reason? I will leave that up to your own theorizing. And we will end this episode. As of now, we do not have another series we're doing. We are just doing Invasion. We are planning a couple of one-off episodes. I want to do a Best Shows I've Watched This Year episode. That should be coming soon. I'm planning it, outlining it for all of you to try to give you some show recs to watch. And we will definitely be ramping up, getting back to our two to three episode cadence that we were doing when Foundation was live But until next time, we hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, check our show notes on everything you need. The form to let us know what you like on the channel, what you want to see more of. As always, like, subscribe. Give us that five-star rating. A lot of haters out there. You'd be surprised the number of haters out there who just make a living off hating. Or maybe not. They seem pretty bitter. But nonetheless, we love all of you who tune in. We love all the kind words. And for all of you who always just enjoy tuning in week to week, As always, thank you, take care, and until next time, peace.